the series we're starting today, this morning, is called Connect, Connecting. And, and there is tremendous power available when we begin to connect with God and we connect with the people of God. And there's amazing potential for kingdom growth when we as believers begin to connect with people outside the church, with non-believers, when we begin to build relationships with them and begin to let them see Christ in us, there's incredible power when we begin to connect with one another, connect with God, and connect with people who are lost. And the, the Bible teaches us how, how powerful unity is in the body of Christ. Uh, the, the, Jesus said, whenever two or three, what? Uh, well, there's another place. Is it? When they agree... You were right. You were correct. I just wasn't <laughs> anticipating that you were in a different part of the gospel. So, but when they agree together, then there's power when we agree. There's, in, the, in the Old Testament, the Tower of Babel, when they began to work together, the, the Lord said that God said that, it, that if, if they continue to work together, nothing will be impossible for them. There is power in agreement. There's power in unity. Now, here's what I want you to know. I believe with all my heart that this is a great church. Anybody believe that? Yes. What, what we find here, what it, you find here is hard to find anywhere. We have something here that is absolutely to be treasured. The Bible says that wherever people uh, gather together that he, in his name, that God commands his blessing there. In other words, he shows up there. And God's spirit comes where p- believers are living together in unity. And I, I thank God for this church. I love this church. With all my heart, I love this church. But I also believe with all my heart, and if you are one of those grammar Nazis on Facebook, you have to forgive me, we ain't seen nothing yet. God has something great for this church, and I believe that God has been preparing us for something magnificent that He wants to do. And it's not something that we will do. It's not something that any man can accomplish on his own. It's going to be in accordance to the prophecies of Joel. It's something that He wants to do in the last days. Joel said, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. And the Bible tells us that in the last days, we will see an unparalleled outpouring of God's Holy Spirit that we have never Never seen on earth before. And I believe God is going to do that in this place. He's going to do that in this church. He's going to do that in this community. Well, three of us believe it. I said He's going to do it in this place. He's going to do it in this church. He's going to do it in this community. Somebody say praise the Lord. Now, when we talk about an outpouring of the Spirit of God, our problem is, as human beings, is that we often have our own preconceived ideas of what that is supposed to look like. Based upon our past history, based on what, maybe even what region of the, of the country we were raised in, we have this idea of uh, what it's supposed to be. You know, in, in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit came upon the believers on the day of Pentecost, we know that there were signs and wonders. But you know what? We can't become people who seek after signs and wonders. Jesus himself called people who, who sought after signs and wonders. He said that that was an adulterous generation. Signs and wonders are going to happen because God is a supernatural God. But you know what? That can't become the focus of our desire. 
And here's what I believe. I believe that the true earmark of a move of the Holy Spirit is not the signs and wonders which we will see when God begins to move, but I believe the true earmark of the move of the Holy Spirit is found in Acts chapter 2, verses 41 and 42. It says, Those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church about 3,000 in all. They joined with, with, other, with the other believers and devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, sharing in the Lord's Supper and in prayer. The earmark of any great revival, the mark of, of any great move of God is that people will get saved. That's the number one thing. When God is moving, the, the people are being drawn to Jesus and people are getting saved. And then the, the, the second part of it is they will not only be saved, not only will they place their trust in Christ for salvation, but they will be discipled. See, God didn't call us to go into the world and save the lost. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. You know, God has been challenging my heart, and, and I don't want to just stay the way that we are, uh, even though I believe this is a wonderful church. I want us to be more effective for God's kingdom in these last days than we as a church have ever been before, and I can tell you this, the status quo is not appealing to me. Just trying to maintain is, does not appeal to me. It's not, I'm not interested in that uh, at all. I want us to be able to reach out more. I want us to do more. And my heart longs for this church to grow by reaching people who don't know Jesus today, not by people who transfer in from other churches, which is how most churches grow today. And that's not kingdom growth. That's transferring sheep from one flock to another. And I believe God wants something more. And, and there are some great churches that are reaching the lost. And I want us to be a great church that reaches the lost. Uh, you know, the, the reality is there are enough people in this community who don't have a relationship with Christ today. And there are enough of them that, they, that we could fill up every church in Crittenden County and not have enough room to seat them all. And in the next few weeks, you're going to hear what we believe is God's plan for this church. And today we're going to lay the groundwork from Ezekiel 37. You see, because when I talk about small groups, discipleship is a huge, important part. Your growth, growth is a huge, important part of that. But I also want you to understand that part of the vision that I have for our small groups is that we will see people one to Christ in our small groups. Ezekiel 37, we better read before you fall asleep. Uh, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the valley of the Lord, and he set me in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. It means they'd been there a long, long time. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in, your, in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Isn't that a weird command right there? Isn't it a strange command that, that the Lord would say to the prophet, I want you to prophesy to these dry bones that have been laying there so long that they're completely dry. They're, they're not, you, can't even, you can't even find skeletons, full skeletons. The bones are so dry that they're scattered around, around there because they're just dry bones laying there. And he says, I want you to talk to the bones. It's a weird, weird command. Let's keep reading. So I prophesied as I was commanded. 
And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet. A vast army. Now this prophecy was not just a word from the Lord for Ezekiel, but it's God's word for us today. God has, over the centuries, has preserved this passage of Scripture by the power of the Holy Spirit through all the generations of time so that He can speak something fresh to us today. So I want you to to follow me. First thing I want you to notice in this. Number one, the valley is our community. The valley is our community. The valley is your environment. It's your house. It's, your, it's where you work. It's where you play. It's your family. It's your personal relationships. The valley is all those places where you go and all of the people that you come into contact with in your life. You need to understand what we're talking about today. The valley is your community, your environment. Number two, the dry bones are people. They're precious people. The Holy Spirit showed Ezekiel something in that valley. When he went there, he showed him something that he had never, ever seen before. And that's exactly what God is going to do for us in our lives, what he's going to do for you personally. Many of us have lived here in this community for a long time, but I want you to understand something. We have this certain way of looking at the community around us and has been shaped by our experiences, has been shaped by the, the time that we lived here and the things that we've seen and the people we inter- interacted with. But I want you to know that God is about to change our perspective about what's going on around us. We're going to begin to realize that the dry bones are the lost people in our community. The, these people who don't know Christ that are wandering around and living in our community, living as neighbors, working alongside of us. They're there and we're going to see them and recognize that they are lost. Now here's the thing we've got to understand. These people who don't know Christ living in our community, they are not dirty, rotten sinners. I mean, they are sinners. So are we. But what I'm saying is we have to be very careful that we don't look at people outside the church who are far from Christ with prejudice in our hearts and look down on them, uh, you know, because when we begin to think that we're better than people outside of Christ, I'm here to tell you that that is a stench in the nostrils of God. I remember the first church I was in as a youth pastor. And I remember one day I was in the office of the church. I was there by myself and nobody else, everybody else had gone. And uh, the door was always locked. But they had a doorbell there, and so I heard the doorbell ring, and I, I go to the door, and there's this, there's this woman there. And so I, I greet her and ask her, you know, if I can help her. And, um, and she, she tells, starts telling me the story. She says, uh, listen, I've, I've got a bus ticket. I'm on my way uh, out of town. I've got the ticket. I don't need a ticket. I just need a ride to get to the bus station. So I thought, well, uh, you know, I guess I'll give her a ride. Now, I was young, foolish. I would never do that now. I would never get in the car with a woman I don't know uh, because who knows what kind of accusation is going to be made. But back then, I was young and stupid, so I was like, hey, let's go. And so we, I had this little uh, 1985 Ford Escort. I, I know you're jealous. <laughs> um, and so we got in the car, 
And we started driving down the road. It was, it was the middle of summer, you know, like it is here. It was in Kansas City, and it's like it is here. It's hot and humid and just, you know, uh, unbearable. And I remember we were driving along, and, uh, and it became very apparent very quickly uh, that this woman hadn't had a bath in some time. And, uh, and it was too hot to do anything else, you know. So we, we just got there, and I finally dropped her off, and I remember... I remember, you know, as soon as I pulled out, you know, I put the windows down and I was like, oh, got to air this out. This is horrible, man. I can't believe, you know, wow, she just really smelled bad. I remember going on in my mind thinking about this and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit interrupted my thoughts. Anybody ever have the Lord just interrupt your thoughts in the middle of something? Anybody here besides me ever have the the Holy Spirit kick you in the seat of the pants? Anybody? I want to make sure I'm not the only one. I don't, want, I don't know how heathen I really am. I just want to make sure there's the rest of us. Anyway, we're in the, in the middle of this conversation with myself, and the Lord interrupts, and he spoke to me. He said, you know what? That's exactly what your self-righteousness smells like to me right now. That'll wake you up right there. But here I was thinking I was better than this woman. And, and, and because of my prejudice, I didn't, I didn't even take time to talk to her about Jesus. I'm a, I'm a pastor in that church. I didn't even ask her if she knew Jesus. I didn't know those things because I was so caught up with the fact that she needed to be cleaned up. And you know what? The same thing can happen to us when we talk about people spiritually. We can, we can neglect telling them about Jesus because we're so busy worrying about them getting cleaned up. We're so busy about them trying to learn how to, how to live right and how to be right. Can I tell you something? It's about time for us in the church body of Christ to stop getting upset at sinners acting like sinners you know can I tell you this I wasn't going to say all this but when when we get upset at other people's sin can I tell you what's really happening in that moment when I get upset at your sin what's really happening is I'm upset because you're sinning differently than I do It's getting quiet in here. Because it's ignoring the fact that I'm a sinner, that it's only by the grace of God that I am a child of God. It's only by the grace of God that I'm clean. And so when I judge a person who doesn't know Christ because they're sinners, then I'm, I'm forgetting the fact that that's that there uh, but for the grace of God go I. I'm forgetting the fact that God chose the weak, that God chose the foolish, that God chose the broken things of this world to carry the gospel, and that I'm no different than them. All the only thing that's different is that Christ has saved me, and He wants to save save them. And so we've got to begin to see the world around us differently and begin to realize that those people that are lost, when you see that person who has tattoos in places that you didn't even know there were places and they're walking in front of your car and they're going slow and they're impeding your progress toward your destination and they've got piercings in every other place of their body and, you know, that, that you didn't even know it was possible for that to happen. Instead of looking at them and saying, and, and looking at them with disgust, we need to be able to look at them through the eyes of grace and through the eyes of the Holy Spirit and say that is a precious person who needs God that God loves and that he approved his love for them by sending his son Jesus to die for them we need to look at them and say to ourselves there goes God's favorite he's going to change our perspective because the reality is these dry bones have names and you can call their names this morning they're members of your family Members of your neighborhood. They're people that that work with you. 
the people that go to the gym with you. I'm looking out here. I don't know how many of us go to the gym, but I shouldn't say that. <laughs> I got myself in trouble now. They, they, they work with you on, at the PTA at school. The people that you see, they're the, the cashier that you see every time you go to the grocery store and, and you go through their line. They're dry bones that have names. And you can name their names. You could begin to name, go through a list of people who need, need Jesus right now, just like I can. The dry bones of those people. But the third thing is you're the prophet. You and I are the people that God has called to our community. We are the people that he is saying to us, I want you to speak to the dry bones. And you know what? Ezekiel's vision is our vision. He's, verse 1, the hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out, of the, out by the spirit of the Lord and he set me in the middle of a valley and it was full of bones. I want you to understand that God has brought you out. He is the one who has brought you to where you are. It says the hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord. God, God, God brought Ezekiel to that valley. He was the one who put him in the middle of that valley of dry bones. And I want you to know that he has brought you into the kingdom and he's brought you into this county. He's brought you into your neighborhood. He's brought you into to your school, he's brought you into your workplace, and he's brought you into all those places for such a time as this. God has saved you for a reason. You know, some of us we think that you know we get saved so we can just enjoy life and you know and just dip our toes in the river of life, and you know, we get to heaven, and we're like, Oh, that was just great, thank you for saving me. But we we forget God has a plan and God has a purpose for your life. He saved you for a purpose, he's, He saved you. To, to do something. He saved you not so that you'll just be saved. He saved you so that you can do something with your life. And he has that plan and he has a purpose for your life. And you are no accident. Before you were ever born, God had something that he wanted you to do. And he's knit you together. Psalm 119 says that he knit you together in your mother's womb. As you were being formed, as you were, as you were growing in your mother's womb, the hands of, of the Savior were in there shaping you and molding you and creating you the way that you are. And he says, he says, there's something I want this child to grow up and do. And every Christian in this room, every Christian in this world has a call of God upon their life. It's not just the pastors that are called by God. Every one of us are called by God. And God has ordained you to do the work that He has planned for you to do before you were ever even born. Not only has God called you to, to His plan for your life, But the great news is he has equipped you to accomplish his plan for your life. You know, how many of you realize there are certain things that you like that other people dislike? It's that way on purpose. There are certain things that you're interested in that other people just don't care about, right? It's that way on purpose. There are certain things that you have a passion for that other people don't have a passion for. It's that way on purpose because God has created us differently. And if we were all the same and if we all had the same interests and the same purposes uh, and the same, same passions, how are we going to reach the people that are so different than us? He's made us, everybody in this room, we are all so different. I look out and some are more different than others, but that's a different, different story. 
But you know what? God has, given, God has a specific ministry for you, and he has shaped you so that you can do what he's calling you to do. Ephesians uh, chapter 2, uh, we, we, we love the, the verse. Let me, let me find it. I want to make sure I, I get it right. And now I've got this small print Bible, so I may, still may not get it right. But uh, we, we love in, in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 where it talks about how we are saved by grace through faith. Uh, and, and, and even that is not of God's, uh, is not ourselves, it's from God so that nobody, none of us here can boast. But we forget that it's tied into the very next verse, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. It says, for we are his workmanship. And that word translated workmanship, it can actually, it can even be translated his poem, his masterpiece. We are, we are the poem that God has written, his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. I want you to hear what he's saying here. He's saying you're not saved by your works, but you are saved to, to get to work. You're saved to, to, to do something for the kingdom of God. And he says, and he says, which Christ, in which for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. The literal translation of that is that which God has fit up together with us. Listen, think about it this way. God created you as he is putting you together in that womb. He says, I have this plan. I have this purpose for this child. They're going to grow up and they're going to do great things. Doesn't it make sense that he would say, now I'm going to give them all the gifts and all the talents and all the abilities they need so that they can fill out, fulfill the purpose of God on their life? When God was forming Mary Beth in that womb, he said, I have a plan. She's going to be a worship leader. She's going to lead my people into the kingdom with music. And so he said, you know what? She's going to need some musical ability. And she got an extra portion that the rest of us didn't get. How many of you know what I'm talking about? This is what he does. God has given you certain gifts and certain talents and they fuel your passions and God will use them to fulfill his call upon your life. You are a minister and God wants to use your passions and your interest in the ministry. Now see, it's easy for us to think in terms of music, in terms maybe of writing or speaking, but is there anybody here you love to cook? You're some of my favorite people in the world. You know what? Can I tell you something? God gave you that for a reason. Not only, not only is it a blessing to the church, but what about someday down the road? What if, what if God let you begin to form a small group where you brought in people who didn't know Christ and young, young ladies who wanted to learn how to cook and you begin to teach them how to cook and begin to share Christ with them at the same time? See, there, there's all kinds of ways. Whatever talent, whatever gift you have, it can be used in the, in the kingdom of God to bring people to Jesus. Not only God save you and equip you, but God has placed you where you are. He said, he brought me out by the spirit of God and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. God planted Ezekiel in that valley and God has planted you where you are today. You live where you live because God planted you there. And you say, oh, oh no, Pastor Dave, we, we called a real estate agent and, and we looked at 50 houses before we finally chose our house. Listen, I believe that God is a strategic God and you may think it was the real estate agent, but it was not. Acts chapter 17 says this. 
For from one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any any of us, in, from any one of us. Now you may think it was mere chance. But it was not. God marked out your appointed time to live on this earth. You're here now during this time period because God says, this is when I want you to live. This is when I want you to walk the face of this earth. And he says that it says that he then determined the boundaries of your lands. He determined where you were going to live. He said, I've got a plan. I'm going to create them. This person is mine. This is the time I want them to live. And I want them to live in Marion. I want them to live in Crittenden County. I want them to live in West Memphis. I want them to live in Memphis. I want them to live in, in Hernando, way back there in the back. All these places. And he, he says, I want them to live there. And he says, and we have been placed in all those places so that he can use our lives to direct people around us to Jesus through our lives. Because it says there that they are wandering around in the dark, trying to find their way, looking for answers, trying all kinds of things, trying drugs and alcohol, trying all kinds of different thoughts patterns and maybe even embracing atheism and saying this must be the answer and they're wandering around in darkness and we are the ones with the light and we're placed in that land of darkness so that while they're wandering around we can say come here come here let me show you let me show you how to find light that's why we're here that's why we're here god brought you in god equipped you he placed you where you are And then God has given you a sphere of influence. Everyone here has a sphere of influence. Doesn't matter where you are on the corporate ladder. Doesn't matter how much money you have or you don't have. Doesn't matter if you're well known in the community or not. The reality is, for everyone in this room, your life influences someone. People you may or may not know are watching your life. It might, be, it might be people on your job. It might be people in your neighborhood. It might be fellow family members. But God has given you a sphere of influence. The people in your life, not only are you where you live on purpose, but God has given you the people in your life on purpose. God caused Ezekiel to see something he'd never seen before. He said, he led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry, You know what? God is going to cause us to see things that we've never seen before. You're going to begin to see people in in a completely different light. And they're they're not going to be just people at work anymore. You're you're going to begin to realize that this is your valley of dry bones. And God has placed you there on purpose strategically for a reason. And he's going to open your eyes to help you see that people in your sphere of influence have dry bones. And he's going to show you how very dry they really are. When you go home this afternoon, you're going to pull into your driveway and you're going to look across the street and, 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 and you're going to see dry bones. When you go to work tomorrow morning, you're going to walk into work and you're going to look around and see people that are lost and you're going to begin to see dry bones. When you go to school, you're going to, you're going to walk in and see all those lost uh, teenagers and other students and you're going to see dry bones. There's no life in them because they don't know Christ, but we know that God loves them and God placed the people in your life. And the reality is, the drier the bone, the more they need you. And there may be some very dry bones, but have no fear. God is showing you 
Because God has something he wants you to do. Next thing is that God has invited you to participate in what he's doing. He said, son of man, can these bones live? God was offering Ezekiel an opportunity to to participate in what he was about to do. And God asks us today, he says, can these bones live? I want to show you the answer. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping what he promised the way some people understand slowness. But God is being patient with you. There were some that were saying, you know, God is so slow. He hasn't returned yet. Maybe it's not real. Uh, God is just, he's just, uh, they were questioning this. But he said, but God is being patient with you. The reason Jesus hasn't returned yet is because he's being patient with us. He says he does not want anyone to be lost, but he wants all people to change their hearts and, and lives. God has made his will absolutely crystal clear. There is power in knowing God's will. Because you can pray with faith and you can pray with expectancy if you know that it's God's will. And he says here, it is not my will that anyone in your sphere of influence die and go to hell. God wants everybody in your sphere of influence to have life through Christ. God wants to save them. But the reality is we are responsible to tell them. Ezekiel's responsibility was simply to say what God said to say. And the miracle that was to follow was all in the hands of the Lord, wasn't it? And the people in your sphere of influence, they are your responsibility. Now, we can't save anybody. We can't make anybody come to Christ. Oh, I wish that we could. There have been many times I wish that I could grab somebody by the throat and say, come to Jesus right now, you know, and I'm going to send you there as soon as we're done praying. You know, anybody been there? You know what I'm talking about. Don't, don't look at me like you're all, you know, all judgmental and everything because you've been the same place. We can't save them. But we are responsible to tell them. Mark 16, 15. Then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone, everywhere. Everyone, everywhere. Everyone, everywhere. Everyone, everywhere. There are no loopholes in that. It's it's not your responsibility to get anybody saved. But you do have the responsibility to influence the people in your life for Christ. God wants you to speak to the dry bones in your valley and say to them that they are going to live. So you speak with your testimony. You speak with your lifestyle. You speak with your words. You know what? Your testimony is one of the most powerful tools for helping people see who Jesus really is because they can argue with all of your, all of your apologetics. They can argue with all the, the, the things that you have to, to, to argue about. But you know what? They can't argue when you say, listen, you're like the blind man when Jesus healed him and he was called before the Pharisees. And they said, who did this and how did he do it? And the man said, listen, I don't have answers for all of your questions. He said, this is what I know. Once I was blind, but now I see. And that's our testimony. We don't have to have all the answers. We can say, listen, I don't have all the answers for all these questions you have. But here's what I know. This is who I was. And this is what he's done in my life. That's my testimony. And the power of that testimony is is a powerful tool that the Holy Spirit can use. But I also want you to understand your testimony in and of itself is not going to be enough. Because you've got to live what you say you believe. Because your lifestyle is what gives your testimony credibility. Because if your testimony says one thing and you're living in complete opposition to that, they're going to look at that and say, 
I don't know what he's talking about over here because I can see this in their life. But your lifestyle gives credibility. But I want you to see that bringing dry bones to life is a process. I'm going to hurry. I'm going to try to preach faster if you'll listen faster. Chapter, uh, excuse me, verse 4. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I was prophesying. I love the fact there he says, as I was prophesying, he had to take a step of faith. He began to do what God told him to do without any promise that anything was really going to happen. And as I was prophesying, There was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. So Ezekiel does exactly what God tells him to do, and bones start flying around through the air and connecting with one another. Did anybody think a miracle starting to take place there? Yeah, that's right. Bones are coming together. Tendons and muscle appear out of nowhere and cover the skeletons. And then skin begins to appear out of nowhere and covers the muscle. Is a miracle taking place? I'm asking you, is a miracle taking place? But how many of you realize no life had entered that valley yet? In your notes and on the screen, you're going to see a spiritual life matrix. You see, there's just a simple little thing, negative five up to, all the way up to positive five. It's just a way to begin to think about things. A person who's a negative five is somebody who doesn't believe in God, who sees no, no point in any kind of spirituality. And the person who's at a positive five is a passionate servant leader, fully devoted to following Christ. But here's what I want you to understand. When a person who is at a minus five moves to a minus four, and then to a minus three, and then to a minus two, what's happening is the bones are beginning to fly through the valley, and the tendons and the muscles are beginning to develop but don't worry about the fact that life is not there yet who would say that bones flying through the air and connecting with one another who would say that's a miracle let me hear you who would say that a person who is an atheist coming to a place where they say okay i believe there is a god how many believe that's a miracle beginning to take place in their life see we got to get excited and believe That as people move from a minus five to a minus four to a minus three, that what's happening is the bones are beginning to move, that God is doing something in their life. And after God put the bones together and he attached the tendons and gave them muscles and covered them with skin, the fact is they were still dead. Ezekiel standing there in this valley, and it was a bunch of bones, a miracle's taking place, but now all he's doing is standing in the middle of a valley full of corpses. So it's already been a miracle. But what we see here is, in the process, we begin to realize God had not finished the work that he had started. Verse 9, then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these uh, slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Listen, God will begin to use you to move people through the process of finding new life. We've got to get past this idea that evangelism is an event. Evangelism is not an event. Evangelism is a process. 
It's not that we've got this thing in our mind that we think, well, if I'm going to lead somebody to Jesus, that means I give them the four spiritual laws and, and, and pray with them. And we get it all, we start and end in 15 minutes and that's all it takes. But you know how many of you realize that the process takes much longer than that, than that. And if I get to pray with somebody to lead them to Christ, that means that they've been in the process a lot longer before I ever met them as Christ has been working in their life. The, the, the fact is that, that God begins to move those people and, excuse me, and everybody in your sphere of influence is somewhere along this spiritual matrix line. They may be an atheist, but God is working to, to make, move them from a negative five to a negative four. They may be, may be bitter against God, but God's working on moving their heart from a minus four to a minus three. God will use your influence and the power of the Holy Spirit to bring the bones back together again and to put flesh on those bones. And the reality is for some people, the process takes years. And for others, it may take a few weeks. Told before about my father-in-law, Julie's stepdad. For years, we prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for him to come to know the Lord. Hard man. Addicted to pornography. Grew up hard. And for years... I couldn't tell really what was going on. I couldn't tell that there was anything happening in his life. Finally, as he was facing a battle of cancer, the pastor of, of, uh, of Julie's mom's home church went to visit him and led him to the Lord in that hospital. It was, it was almost hard. I mean, listen, we had prayed for so long. There were times, anybody been here like me? I'm just going to confess to you. There were times I just like, I don't even know why I'm praying. I was ready to quit. I was ready to give up because even though there had been times where I saw little things like all of a sudden out of nowhere, he'd, he, would, he would be ready to sit down and to eat and, and he would lead in a prayer. And it was a weird prayer, if I can tell you that. But, but at least he was praying. See, that was the bones starting to move. That was the, the spirit doing something behind the scenes that I couldn't see. And finally, one day, when it all came uh, down to it, after years of praying and years of talking and years of, of begging God to move in his life, then all of a sudden, he came to life in Jesus. And I'm here to say to you, it may take years, it may take a few weeks, but I'm here to say to you this morning, these bones shall live! Sometimes we get discouraged because we don't, they don't get saved right away. Or, or because we can't even get them to come to church with us. But don't get discouraged because the Holy Spirit is working. He's putting muscles and tendons on those bones. And eventually, Ezekiel saw what God saw. Because all along, God saw a mighty army instead of dry bones. And after this miracle... Ezekiel could finally see what God saw all along. What was once nothing more than a dusty pile of bones had now become a vast army. I want you to understand this. I want you to see that those people around you that seem so far from God and you look at their dry bones and you say they're very, very dry. I don't know if they can ever live. And the Holy Spirit is saying to you today, He's going to do a miracle in their life. It may take, be a long time in coming, but He sees them already as a follower of Christ. He sees them already as a child of God. And you need to begin to, to, to agree with the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, I see in the spiritual eye, I see them coming to you, Lord God. I see them following Christ. 
And so God, I'm going to keep praying and I'm going to keep prophesying to these bones. I'm going to keep saying what you tell me to say. And I'm going to wait for you to do the miracle because I know these bones will live. That's what God's going to do in us. We're going to realize that just because they aren't in church right now, that doesn't mean that God is not working. Just because you don't see spiritual movement right now, that that does not mean that God is not working. Just because they're still dry bones laying on a desert floor, that doesn't mean that God isn't going to do a miracle and breathe life into what was once dry, dead bones. God is getting them ready. And they are going to live. Listen, God has a vision for this community. And I want you to understand, His vision for this community includes you. God wants to use this church to change this community. He wants this church to be a lighthouse in the darkness. He wants us to shatter the darkness and bring light into this community. And it starts not here in this sanctuary. It starts with you in your sphere of influence. Acts 1.8 says, But when, you re- when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive power and will tell people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So I'm telling you today, if you've got to start in your Jerusalem. Start in your sphere of influence. Start right where you are with the people that God has given to you. To you because I believe that God is getting ready to do a miracle in this community. He's getting ready to do a miracle in their lives. He's getting ready to do a miracle in your life. We're in the midst of a valley of dry bones. And the truth is, they are very, very dry. Society has never been like it is today. You just watch the news. We, we've never witnessed, witnessed a day in America where sin was as rampant as it is today. The hearts of men and women have grown hard and grown cold. People have in the church have messed up and done things and, 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 that brought shame to the cause of Christ. And there is, a, there is a cynicism in the hearts of people toward Christianity and the things of God. But I'm here to tell you it doesn't matter how dry the bones are. God is getting ready to work a miracle in in their life. I don't know when it's going to happen, but one of these days in your sphere of influence, if you'll just keep sharing your testimony, if you'll just keep living for Christ, you're going to see something. If you'll keep making connections with the people around you, with the dry bones in your valley, then one of these days, what's going to happen is you're going to begin to, to hear a rustling. You're going to, you're going to see the, begin to hear a crackling sound among the bones, and you're going to begin to see tendons and muscles begin to form, and then you'll see something stirring in their life that you have never seen stirring before and you'll begin to see you'll see the beginning of a great miracle in the lives of people in your sphere of influence Mary Beth come on up you may ask can God save my children yes he can can God save the people in my workplace yes he can Can God really save my neighbors? Yes, He can. Can God save my spouse? Yes, He can. Can God save my mama? Can God save my daddy? Yes, He can. Can these bones live? Say it with me. Yes, they can. But only God can do it. The question is, why did God use Ezekiel? Think about this. God was, is, was perfectly capable of putting those bones back together all by himself. He did not need Ezekiel to prophesy to those bones. He could have done it if he wanted to. He used Ezekiel because 
He wanted to, he wanted to include him in his plan. Why is he using us? He doesn't need us. He could appear to anybody he wants to in this world. He could reveal himself to them. He could save them. He doesn't need us to do it, but he chooses to use us to pull us in, to make us part of the plan and to show us what he's doing. God is the one who does the work, but he chooses to use his people. In the coming weeks, you're going to have an opportunity to get involved in a connect group where God can begin to bring life to dry bones, which sometimes, can I tell you, we're talking in the context of people who don't know Christ, but sometimes in the body of Christ we get those dry places, and it's in these small groups that God's going to begin to reign on your life again. God wants to bring life to people in your life, but his one plan, here's what we understand this, he has one plan. There's no plan B. There's no fallback plan. And that one plan to bring life to the people in your life is to use you. You. He may let me be part of it somewhere, but you know what? The people that come into this church that give their life to Christ, I may get to be part of the, you know, the, uh, the uh, bringing in the harvest and praying with them and that sort of thing, but you know what? They're not going to get saved because of my life and my testimony. They're going to get saved because of your life and your testimony. God has called you. The question is, are you available? We get so caught up with ability. And God's never, ever looking for ability. He's always looking for availability. Which just means that, God, I give you whatever I can do. And I can tell you this. I don't think I've ever been called by God to do something that I could do on my own. Because then if I do it, who gets the glory? If I do it and I could do it, then I get the the credit for that. But you know what? When he calls me to something, then he does it. And everybody around says, well, I know that wasn't him. Then he gets the glory for it. So don't worry about what you can't do. Just give him what you can do. You can share your testimony. You can live a life of holiness and a life that that expresses your love for Christ in front of them. You can speak to the dry bones. Just do what you can do and leave the miracle to him. See, our problem is we try to do the work of the Holy Spirit. Anybody here ever tried it, especially with our kids? You ever try to convict your own kids of their sin? You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about. Problem with that is, when I try to convict people of their sins, they get mad. When the Holy Spirit convicts people of their sins, they get saved. So let Him do His work. You do what He's called you to do. You do what you can do and leave the rest of it to Him. So are you available? Are you willing Will you be the voice of Ezekiel to your valley of dry bones, to the people around you? That's the question for us today. Bow your head. Let's pray. Father, I come to you, Lord God, and I thank you.